Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Canadian Reg Tech Association's podcast. Today, we'll be delving into the topic of data management, specifically how to successfully build an asset-specific data practice for capital markets. My name is Donna Bales, and I'll be your host today. By way of background, I'm the co-founder of the Canadian Reg Tech Association and a practitioner focused on regulatory compliance, market structure, strategy, and business transformation. I'm delighted to be here today with John Lowry, a friend, mentor, and previous colleague. John and I have known each other since the early 2000s when we both were living in the UK and building out electronic trading systems and new distribution channels for our respective firms. I was at TD Securities and John was at Lehman. John has had a long distinguished career with nearly 38 years experience in capital markets in a wide variety of leadership roles, most recently the global head of product strategy at Citibank. But John has always been at the forefront of market innovation, automated trading, use of emerging tech. But we're here today to talk about how he's built out an asset-specific data practice and some of the lessons he's learned along the way. So let's go back 20 years. So John, you ran the execution practice at Lehman. Tell us a little bit about your experience there and what key data issues that you confronted during that period. Hey, Donna, thank you very much. It's, it's great to chat with you um, and talk about this. Uh, you know, my career is basically, as you said, it's been about 40 years, actually. Uh, and it's kind of split 50-50 between managing a trading businesses, uh, being a trader and running a hedge fund. And then the last 20 years have really been about building technology and building out a data practice, uh, which is more specific to uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, but I should also say that really what I'm going to be talking about is data management and, and, and data assets within the capital markets businesses, because uh, those are the businesses I know, and that's really where I've been. I take you back to Lehman, uh, and really the reason why is, is not because the primary job uh, that I had at Lehman was running electronic trading, uh, especially for the, uh, uh, the build of the quantitative prime brokerage business, which I ran globally. Uh, but more uh, because we, we built out other products there too. Uh, Lehman was a very creative place. And one of the products that we built was uh, a creation of a data asset. Uh, and way before I think firms had really focused on uh, building data assets out themselves uh, and, and uh, seeing what that was about. So the product name was Retina or Setna, and what the product was was very interesting. And that is, uh, if you were a, a trader or a salesperson or an analyst, so an employee of Lehman Brothers, um, we had a way that you could go into a UI and basically put in your stock ideas. You could buy or sell. It could be in any sector, anything you were doing. It didn't have to be related to your job. You didn't actually have to buy or sell it. It was just we wanted your sentiment. Uh, about uh, stocks to buy or sell or indexes to buy or sell. Uh, we had at one point then about uh, 400 participants in this system, uh, primarily in, in Europe and Asia. And we then uh, aggregated this data together. We anonymized the data. So nobody knew where the data came from, uh, created an anonymous form. And we looked at it for our own proprietary trading signals. We also, and this is where I really come into the story, realized that this data could be valuable to quantitative clients who are looking for alternative data sources. 
And we went out and started to sell uh, this data to uh, st statistical arbitrage trading firms and other quantitative trading firms. Uh, and that is really where we, the essence of thinking about data as an asset, creation of data, what kind of policies you have, what kind of legal grounding do you have, how do you aggregate and anonymize the data in a way that you can actually use the data in a form that, that makes sense? Um, uh, and those are problems we still have today, uh, especially the problem of uh, aggregation and anonymization, which I'll get into later. Uh, but I thought it was a good place to start because these, these problems have been around for a very, very long time. Yeah, absolutely. And and when when you think look at things in the larger scope, like you you've worked at a um, you know large global banks, and you've worked at a time at uh, commodity based brokers. Um, what areas are you are key in the data management um, process? Well, I think that um, I would say that there are three major issues uh, in thinking about data management, um, um, all of them have equal import. Number one is entitlements. Who's entitled to the data? Who can see it? What can they do with it? Number two is lineage. Where does the data come from? How do we know whose data that is? How do we know where it came from? How do we know the use of the data? And number three is more specific uh, in two, one and two, but it's implied in one and two, and that is the use of client data itself. Uh, we, for years, have never had client data agreements. In fact, we still really do not have client data agreements. Some clients will say to you, you may not use our data for any other purpose other than regular business purposes. Uh, some clients will say you cannot use our data in any sort of analytical tools that you do internally. So what does that really mean? Can we use your data back to my previous point in an aggregated way? Can we use it in an anonymized way? If the quant who's looking at the data doesn't know the source of the data, is that okay? Um, so there's a huge amount of work and thinking that has to go on uh, uh, with these basic, basic concepts, entitlements, lineage, uh, and use of data itself. And I think the most difficult one of these is, is the, the client data usage. In, internally, people are gonna solve their own problems, what, what employees can do, where, where the data is. I think the externalities around data, especially uh, in the investment banking space and capital markets space, where so much data is commingled and the data we create a view on the index, for example, how to create an ETF, is so related to the data that we have with clients, that we get from clients, we have their orders, we have their executions, um, that it, 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 it creates a, a, a level of complexity that I, I think banks are still really working through the problems with this. In terms of that, when the customers are opting out, you know, the use of data, um, have you had any, like, do you have any um, user cases on how you've done that? Like in some of your, um, you know, in, in some of your experience, how actually? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good question. So the way we had to start uh, was we went back and uh, we, we looked at all of our 
uh, electronic trading agreements, all of our prime brokerage agreements, all of our swap agreements. And what did we put in those agreements that are related to use of data and data elements? Um, again, because I said there was no specific data agreements and if they were, they were bespoke. Uh, that wasn't enough though, because just because of the no, those agreements, if a salesperson is agreed to a data usage uh, with a client uh, in an email or a text that has standing. Uh, and the client of course can, can come and say, we told you this, your salesperson acknowledged this. And so then we had the process of having to go back and spot check, look at uh, old emails and stuff like that, which we ran through looking for keywords and being able to try to assess that and be able to get that data because the data had never been assembled. Uh, that took us well over a year to be able to think through and think about what that is. Uh, and then we had to create lists of clients that specifically didn't want data used for specific things. And we actually came up with about 11 different lists around the globe around usage of data and what they can be. So fundamentally those, those served to the ba basis of blacklists and whitelists uh, of, of data itself. Uh, so um, that is the, the basic foundational problem with this. Um, what we have not done is gone back um, and to clients specifically and said, you know, we want to use your data in X, Y, or Z way. Um, and I think that that's a bridge that the investment banks uh, and brokers are going to have to face uh, where they don't just assess and risk manage from what they believe, uh, but they actually go out and, um, and they get a consent. Uh, and the consent is not uh, implied, the consent is specific. And that specific consent is a step that, uh, um, uh, at least in my experience, has really not taken place except in a very few cases. It seems like there's some, you know, there's a lot of new regs in terms of, you know, conduct. Um, you know, we've got new privacy regulations, you know, uh, coming out in Canada um, and and some of the and there are some regulatory solutions that are out there to meet some of these um, requirements like so have you have you used any of those tools like like kind of multi-purpose them like like for example like an e-coms um, solution that you might use for actually monitoring conduct risk can you also uh, use something like that to um, to actually, you know, review whether you got this verbal consent from, you know, a client? So foundationally, yes. Um, uh, in that um, some of the compliance tools we're able to re reconfigure to use for in the data management space, uh, which was helpful. Um, but it really gets to the complexities of the practice itself uh, and what you're complying to, which is kind of sort of what you're, you're leading to. Uh, GDPR is 
its own world of issues. Um, I'm not as familiar with the C Canadian regulations. I apologize. I'll have to learn Canadian those from you. <laughs> okay. Uh, and of course, California has its, its, its own rules and, 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 uh, and how that impinges potentially on what's going on. Not only that, but we have the policies of the firm. So city itself, of course, has a data policy but these policies are written at a very, very high level. Uh, and generally, they're, they're corporate policies and how these policies are managed uh, uh, within a business unit becomes uh, an issue. I'd also point to the regulators themselves are starting to hone on this as a problem. Uh, and I think you can, the British regulators, uh, to me, are more specifically are, are a lot further along uh, in, the, in the process. I think there's, if you kind of look at two consultation data papers uh, you, and put them side by side, you begin to see uh, where the regulators in the UK are going. And uh, in my view, the UK has been much more of a leader in thinking out these problems than we have in the US, where I think FINRA and the SEC, uh, the OCC is, is in the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency and the Fed have been a bit um, slower uh, in terms of uh, bringing forth the regulation talking from a US context. Uh, so, if one one paper uh, is uh, the consultation paper CP five slash eighteen, which is about algorithmic trading, uh, and then if you add on to that a Bank of England document, uh, uh, which uh, came out in October of twenty nineteen about uh, machine learning. In fact, the name of it is machine learning and financial services. Um, came out in October 2019, you began to see kind of a nexus of, uh, of the way regulators are starting to think about that. Uh, it's very, very clear the regulators want structured rules and processes, testing, back testing, et cetera, around data and data usage. Number two, the regulators want the, to be the brokers to plainly explain how they use data and how they make decisions. Now, in the use of market data, this is a lot less complex an issue because market data is a third-party source. It's time-stamped, uh, and there's there's a, a I think a very deep understanding of what market data presents. But when you get in the world of unstructured data, uh, and especially in the machine learning space, uh, it is a space where there is not a lot of constructive thinking yet uh, that is that is going on. Uh, and if you look at the piece that the uh, Bank of England did in October 2019 around machine learning, you'll see that, um, that today about 80% of the respondents that they use basically structured data, but they also state very plainly that in the future, 40% expected to be using unstructured data. And it's that use of unstructured data that is going to create a set of complications because one, what are the rules around it? Number two is where's that data coming from and what kind of data are we using to help in our decision-making? Those decision-making doesn't just have to be how an algo operates. It can be in risk management. It can yeah. be credit management. It can be in all sorts of tools that we do uh, to be able to think about 
the context of a client uh, 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 and uh, how we make decisions around a client and what we know about that client. Uh, so, so a lot of what we know about clients uh, is the behavior of what the, the way they trade, but is also the set of relationships we have. And how do you get those relationships, that knowledge of this is the sectors they care about, this is the stocks to buy, this is how they do stuff, this is how they approach stuff, and calibrate that in an, and bring that into a structured environment uh, as part of an analytical tool is, is really very fertile ground. And I think the regulators will start moving into that kind of space and helping think that stuff out. The Fed has done a study, uh, and I, I should point out, uh, in machine learning. Uh, I haven't seen the results of it. Uh, so we know this is coming around as uh, it has other regulators besides the Bank of England. Yeah, we here in Canada, we just had our prudential regulator come out with a um, what they call a green paper on on looking at um, technical risks. Um, and there definitely uh, there was a, a theme of AI and machine learning. Um, and I know IOSCO also like more in the security space, which kind of we're talking about. Um, today, um, you know, they also had a consultation out um, in the, I'm losing track of time, uh, you know, it, it's a, few, a few months ago, I think that all, I think the responses were due in September. Okay, I need to, I need to look at that. Thank you very much for bringing that to my attention. I wasn't uh, really aware, uh, given the audience, I should have been, I apologize for that. Oh, yeah, um, no. these are, these are, but, yeah. this is just, you know, where, how, how, like some of the recent things that are that have yeah, um, so so let's, let's do, like let's go back to the asset pacific data practice yeah um, we've yeah. had a lot of experience in this and i'm sure the um, listeners will want to hear about this and so like tell us a little walk us through a little bit about you know how you built this practice out and some of the key problems you encountered along the way yeah, so uh, this was this is how the rubber hits the road. We 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 knew that our data practices were immature. Uh, that we had to we had to um, because we believed that it's eventually the regulators were going to care about this. We wanted to get in front of this as a as an issue, and I was very important that the senior management signed on to this kind of vision, uh, which really really did help things. So I would say that that's that's a, a very very key thing uh, to do that, but. Getting down into it, um, it is, you're creating a new business standard, you're creating a new thus compliance world. And uh, so far in the capital markets businesses, data has not been in a, in, a, in, a, in a world of compliance like other elements have been in the world of compliance. And this is our first attempt at bringing data into the world of compliance policies and procedures that people must follow in order to stay within the guardrails that we set up within able to do that. So it started out first is with level setting. Uh, we ended up using consultants to come in and help us level set uh, with where we were and where we needed to go. Uh, and then we used uh, the DCAM sort of scoring uh, to, um, to, uh, to give ourselves a grade, which was, I think, barely passing, uh, but at least gave us a start. This was about three years ago. Uh, and then it was really, okay, what are, the, what are the critical problems? What are the issues and where do we do that? And for us, um, it, the, to us, uh, without getting in exactly the nuts and bolts, we felt that entitlements 
uh, and lineage were the two most critical items that we wanted to focus on. Um, like many people, our entitlements were database-based. So there was a thing that had data in it and you had access to that database, whether or not you had access or not, but how you use that data, how you were authorized to use that data and what kind of data you could use, we had no way of enforcing. We just knew you, you know, you're not signed up to go into that database and pull data or you are. Um, so we had to create a, a brand new entitlements model. And that entitlements model we chose was a very, very, what I would say atomized entitlements model. I, we, the two most basic concepts behind entitlements are a person or a functional ID, a system, a person or a functional ID and a piece of data. Now pieces of data can mean different things, but, but fundamentally what we wanted to be able to say is we want to be able to authorize this person to be able to look at one piece of data on one day at one time. Now that's from a business point of view, that's crazy. That will never happen. But from a, a compliance and entitlement point of view, it made us think very, very differently around how we manage entitlements. Mm -hmm. Then around that, eco, we had to build an ecosystem of, okay, where are we going to get all this information? AML systems, KYC systems, our client, our CRM systems, our, um, our, we built a new utility for all the things that we learned around clients that didn't want us to use data, the blacklists and whitelists that we created and how we did that. Plus we had data itself that had to be held behind. So what with that data, restricted data, corporate buybacks, that kind of stuff, you know, that had to sit in, in a kind of world. Uh, and so, you know, mapping that out and building and doing that, but, but, but fundamentally, uh, instead of a systems-based approach, we built a user-based data approach that was very, very atomized. And I think that that was uh, the, the reality of what we had to be able to do. At the same time, uh, we were doing two other things. Uh, one is that, um, that we were building uh, a new data lake. We already had one called Ocean. What a creative name. Um, but we were building a new data lake uh, uh, that would sit in the cloud. And so that had to happen. And, and we had to think about the technologies and the stuff behind that. Uh, and thirdly, was, it was, was basically making sure that we future-proofed our data needs, thought about what could happen, and was the technology that we were buying actually going to be future-proof to our needs uh, themselves and how that does. Because fundamentally, you want data in one place. You don't want to be searching around for it, uh, but you want to be able to understand the schemas and et cetera. So we had already uh, a data dictionary, which we uh, completely revised. Uh, and uh, we had, I think, we went from the low, I would say high hundreds of data elements to the low thousands and thousands, maybe three or 4,000 different type of data elements they would do. So that seems very, very unwieldy, um, but uh, it allowed us to be able to tag and manage data at source. Then we had to go back to the source systems itself that produce the data and get them to speak in the language of the data dictionary. 
So we chose to go that route of source system uh, compliance versus clean the data through a third party process, third party meaning away from the production of the data. Uh, and that was a very, very difficult set of decisions to go through because nobody wants to play with source systems themselves. Uh, a lot of these source systems haven't been touched for ages. Uh, but we felt that if the data was clean coming into the lake with the proper dictionary, the proper schema, the proper understanding of entitlements, the proper uh, lineage uh, and factors that we wanted around lineage, uh, that we would have a much cleaner view of that data. Uh, if the lake is polluted, it's hard to get it cleaned up. If it's clean that comes in, it made it a lot easier. Uh, and that took a, a lot of focus to be able to do that. In all, it took us about a three-year process from design to we've actually really got something that's working. Um, so in, in investment banking speak, that's pretty fast. In real life speak, that's a, a laborious process. So just I just want to clarify something. So that whole aggregation piece where you were taking the data from the various data silos, did that happen that, that hap and then move did that happen prior to moving into the lake and then the and then the lake was the lake developed outside? No, the, 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 lake, the, the lake has the lake has the elemental data. Okay. Uh, it it has we don't we don't do any aggregation prior to that. We don't touch it, we we leave it. As it is, what we do is we apply um, um, information to that piece of data about what can be used for that data, where the source of it is, and what's happened. So what, what could that be? Um, the client that traded that data, so I'll make this up. Somebody buys 100 shares of IBM, okay? That 100 share buy of IBM is actually a IBM repurchase by IBM corporate run from a restricted security area. That puts all kinds of entitlements wrappers around that piece of data. Nobody could just go look at that thing versus some other 100 share lot of IBM that nobody would really care about uh, from, a, from one of our algos that was done from one of our trading books. Was not a client, it was just a hedge, you know. Those, yes, it's both 100 shares of data, but one has a lot of enriched information and the other one basically is anybody can look at this that works as cities that's entitled to see that data. It's that, it's that ecosystem of understanding of the, of the data at an atomic level that really drove how we went forward uh, and did stuff. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And so now like three years, um, three years hence, um, is this all in util being utilized? Is it? Um... Yeah, so if, at, at, uh, at City, it's been used by the equity area uh, and it's going across markets. Um, and uh, with this, we had to create a whole admin administration, admin tools. We had to create audit processes mm -hmm. and we had to create compliance processes. We had to create a way of being able to go, this person asked for this data and be able to timestamp and know that. So the regulator of it came in and said, who, who looked at this data, who needed, who has access to this data? We now have, we can actually say, these 37 people have access to the data. And this is why, according to our procedures and policies, they have access to that data. Um, before it was 
who knows? It was a functional ID that had access to the data. Who knows who could see the data from the functional ID themselves? They went into another system and could see sort of stuff. So it was, you know, that 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 practice and stuff. Now that's all being built out. It's being it's going global. We're U.S. basically only right now, yeah. And it's and it's and it, and it's going global. But that 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 really is fundamentally what's going on. The other thing that hasn't happened yet is is we haven't started bringing in the unstructured data. Mm-hmm. So that would be um, um, clients wants needs IOIs uh, uh, what clients own 13D reports um, clients wishes um, um, those kinds of things which are relevant to the the trading business uh, but the data schemas will have to be by definition quite different from them. Yeah, but then but there you get to see the real, um, ex, you know, extra benefit when that when that is able to. Happen. Yeah, when that's built yeah. out, that is correct. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Well, um, thanks, John. I mean, I think this has been really good. I think it would be able to go away and kind of see see this journey. Um, and um, but thanks for your time today. I appreciate uh, it was great talking to you again, Donna, especially around uh, topics that you and I both seem to spend a lot of time talking about. Uh, and this is one. And if anybody um, wants any further information or anything else, I'm happy to chat with them.